It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by flip composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through right it. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccine vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people, and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. we got a good one in store today, especially with uh, fall kicking off tomorrow. Some great fall winter reading options for you coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour. We're going to talk with, um, let me see if I get this right, um, Oh, let's see. Um, Yeah, Boston University professor of history and author Charles Delheim about his uh, new book, Belonging and Betrayal, How Jews Made the Art World Modern from Brandeis University Press. That's coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour. In the middle, the second hour, we're going to talk with... um, a former uh, high school teacher and New York Times best-selling author Brendan Kiley. His new book is called The Other Talk, Reckoning with Our White Privilege. But first, we're going to talk to an author based right in Flint, Michigan. Um, he's uh, won numerous awards for his writing. He's got a new book out, um, the third in a series of books called Urban Tasm. It's uh, This one is The Darkest Road by Connor Coyne, who joins me by phone. Hi, Connor. Welcome to the show. Or I should say, hey. welcome back. 
<laughs> Thanks for having me in with such a great lineup, too. Wow, I'm flattered. <laughs> well, let me let me ask you about this, because we talked about mm-hmm. one of your uh, previous Urban Tasm books, and, and I guess there are, uh, are there four planned? Yes. And yes. this is the third of four. Are, is it a series in the traditional sense with... Uh, uh, you know, ongoing episodes of, of particular characters and some connection from one story to the next, or are these all standalone books under one imprint? More of the first. It's, uh, it's what in the old times would have been called a serial novel. So, uh, you know, you, you might like, uh, if we pick up a copy of, uh, of Great Expectations, for example, or something by Victor Hugo, uh, you notice that they're broken up into sections, and the sections are broken up into subsections, um, and that's be- partly because those books would come out in print in installments, and, you know, it might be 10 installments or 12 installments, but that was the first way that people would read those early novels, and so this is kind of a similar spirit. Um, each story does sort of have, each book has its own themes and ideas that it explores at depth, but it is uh, does need to be read from from book one through the end of book four to really make any sense. So in that sense, it's it's kind of like one long novel that's been broken up into to four parts. There, um, do they all take place in? And I'm assuming the mm-hmm. pronunciation is Akawi. Yeah, they all take place in uh, the city of Akawi, which is. Uh, which is sort of a shadow version of Flint, and it's um, it, and I, I can't help wondering where that name for the city came from. Is that a takeoff on that um, that, that old uh, that old joke about uh, where the frack a cowie? Oh, I don't know that I've heard that. Wow, this is a new one. I thought I'd heard all of the different variations on that, but what? But what, what's uh, what's, I'll, I'll what's have that? To, I'll <laughs> have to tell you off the air sometime, Connor. Okay. Um, but it it just it reminded me uh, of that. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, let's let's get back to urban tasm. Urban tasms mm-hmm. are actually. Ghosts are they are they urban ghosts in some fashion? So in the in the books, um, the word has a couple of different meanings, um, and you could think them as of them as being ghosts of things that have happened in the past, um, images um, that you are able to perceive, but you're not able to interact with. So. You know, in the book, they could take the form of people, or they could take the, you know, form of buildings that had been demolished. They could take the form of events that had transpired in the past. Um, So you're able to witness them in the present, um, but that's the extent of your interaction. You can't touch them. They can't speak to you. You know, they're not they're not ghosts in the in the sense of. you know, the Demi Moore movie where, uh, you know, it's actually like <laughs> possessing people and stuff. They're not that kind of ghost. <laughs> well, um, Robert Thomas uh, did a review in mm-hmm. uh, East Village magazine in Flint. 
and described it as a magical teen noir serial novel. Mm-hmm. Um, are, are you comfortable with that characterization? Yes, and actually, that was that was um, that was what I devised with a with a publicist for all of our our press when uh, when the book first came out. Um, so that's a very accurate description of of the sort of story it is uh, magical because it's kind of written stylistically in the in the tradition of magical realism. Um, I um. You know, I'm a big admirer of, of, of Toni Morrison, and I think that, that she basically perfected the, the American version of, uh, of that magical realist style. And then, um, and then of course, teen noir, um, you mostly think of in terms of, like, you know, television and, and film, but, you know, the idea is that you take basic concepts and tropes of a, of a noir story of a of a mystery, a crime story that dwells on the steamier aspect of our life. Um, but instead of situating it, you know, on, on the mean streets, uh, you know, you, you have things taking place in like high school classrooms and hallways and that, you know, it's, it's young people kind of, uh, kind of pushing through the, through the story. So, so that is, uh, that is, you know, sort of in the literary DNA of Urbantasm. I always think of noir as black and white. Mm-hmm. Um, is is this a story that would play well in black and white? Oh wow, that's another. That's an interesting question. Uh, well, I'd be very interested in seeing it that way. Um, one of the features of, of the book is that um, the color blue is very important. And, uh, in fact, whenever they encounter the Urbantasms, the, uh, the phantoms are, are blue. So that makes me think, well, what if it was all in black and white except the ghosts, which would be blue? That'd be kind of cool. <laughs> Interesting. When you're, when you're writing, Connor, is it a real visual thing for you? Could you imagine these stories on a screen as opposed to on the page? Yes. Um, and, and truthfully, that's, that's, um, I mean, every writer is going to have, have their own, uh, litmus test, but for me, that's a good way for me to tell if I'm writing something really crappy or not. If I can't visualize it, if I can't have some sensory experience of what I'm writing, it's, it's probably not very good. Uh, you know, I need to be able to hear the voices and smell what the characters are smelling and, see and taste and touch to, to and you know if, if you don't have that if, if if you as a writer don't have access to those senses uh it's not very likely that a reader would either when did the first urban tasm book come out so the first book was published in 2018 um i uh i drafted the whole thing back in 1995 96 and then have been basically working on it since then. But it was only 2018 that the first one was ready for publication. Now, when you say you drafted the whole thing back in the late 90s, mm-hmm. are you talking about all four? Yes. And so you that, wrote the whole story, and now each time you come out with a novel, it's, it's completing the first section or the second or as in this case the darkest road the third 
yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty much exactly exactly the way that it it's played out. Well, that's the ultimate outline. <laughs> yeah, well, it's also a great way of getting yourself uh, locked into a twenty-year project because <laughs> you know, which you spent two years, two years like drafting and outlining. Uh, you don't want to, you don't want exactly want to walk away from it. But um, <laughs> how did you get started writing, Connor? Uh, well, it kind of started. I was I was really into reading. Um, I really liked fantasy literature, you know, these old pulp TSR books that would come out in the in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, but writing was just too, I don't know, boring and work-intensive. And um, and then my dad got uh, an IBM 286, you know, I think it was like 87 or something, and it had, uh, it had a word processing program on it. And, of course, when you take out, like, literal handwriting, um, you know, just everything becomes immeasurably easier. I'm a lefty. And so, of course, you know, I drag my wrist across the page and, like, have ink smears and all of that. And I wasn't a particularly efficient, uh, you know, cursive writer, so I'd print everything. So when I could just sit down at a keyboard and bang out words, uh, you know, I suddenly wanted to be able to write stories, too. And uh, and I think that was probably probably when I started. And then just, you know, eventually it went from, you know, just something to do for, for fun uh, to something a little bit more serious. Who are some of the writers that inspire you? Oh, my God. Well, I mean, it really, like, runs all over the map. Um, I guess if, if, we're, if we're talking, like, literary writers, like writers who are, who are brilliant, who I admire, uh, I never really get worn out on, um, on Toni Morrison and William Faulkner. Uh, you know, I, I, I know that like, uh, Ann Carson is mostly a poet, but you know, I think the way she treats language is something that's like constantly inspiring. Um, but you know, for fun and characterization and a sense of action, uh, this year I've been rereading a lot of like Fritz Leiber's Lankmar books. That's like low, low, early pulp fantasy. But you know, at the same time, there's this like energy and vivacity to his writing and to the stories and his characters that like never really gets, you know, gets tiring for me. Um, when I was in grad school, I worked with Jeffrey Renard Allen, and I think he's, like, one of the most brilliant writers living today. He uh, has these, these, these stories where, like, just the language and the plot are kind of, like, woven together so closely that you can't really admire his writing without admiring the way that it, it calls the story forth. So, so, you know, I'm a big fan of him. Connor, I have to put a comma there. I need to take a break here. Can you stick around for a few minutes and we can talk? Oh, yeah, some absolutely. Great. My guest is uh, Connor Coyne from Flint, Michigan, talking about the uh, third installment in his uh, teen noir serial novel, Urban Tasm. Book three is out now called The Darkest Road. If you're listening to us on uh, WFOV 92.1 FM, Our Voices Radio in Flint, they are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner Program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Dr. Comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org.
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation with the author uh, of a new book. It's the third in a series, uh, Urban Tasm, a novel, book three, The Darkest Road, by Flint, Michigan-based author Connor Coyne. And Connor joins me by phone. Connor, uh, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. Oh, that's okay. I'm just getting caught up on my coffee. <laughs> <laughs> good, good, good. Um, I, you know, I wanted to mention the uh, the book is out now, Urban Tasm, uh, book three, The Darkest mm-hmm. Road. But it it's also, uh, there. there is a, um, you have a promotion going on, a scavenger hunt this week. That's right, yes. <laughs> I wanted to talk about that because it's kind of cool. You've got it set up where there's like a Flint version and then one for everybody else. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> so basically, um, I mean, basically your new book comes out and, you know, you want to have a launch event and maybe a reading and the signing and you do it at a bookstore and you've got like wine and hors d'oeuvres and all that fun stuff. Um, but of course, you know, we're still in the middle of, of COVID. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are very anxious about that, and there were a lot of questions about the expense and the logistics, and I wanted to do something, um, but it, it just seemed like holding an in-person event right now uh, just wouldn't, wouldn't be worth the hassle and the anxiety. So instead, we're doing this, uh, this scavenger hunt. Um, when, you, uh, when you sign up, you, you can sign up online for free, and... Uh, Basically, you register a team as being a Flint team or a not Flint team. And if you are the Flint team, it's going to send you out in search of uh, locations that are, are, you know, here scattered around our beautiful city. And uh, if you're on a non-Flint team, you're kind of uh, sent to find uh, equivalent or parallel locations in your own community. So they're, they're comparably difficult. Um, And why uh, why teams and not individuals, Connor? Well, individuals can do it too. I guess I wanted to say team because that would allow the option of a group of friends or a family working together. Uh, Right now we've got two teams competing, and they're both a group of like two or three people each. Um, But, yeah, no, somebody could do it completely on their own if they wanted to. And, you know, these items, the, the locations I came up with were all, you know, intended to be accessible and available so you know and free so so there's no reason why one person couldn't do uh the scavenger hunt and and do it quite well then what happens they they have to collect all the things in the scavenger hunt and then become part of a drawing or something yeah so basically basically the way we're documenting it is um is is you would go to the location and you would post a picture of it uh, on social media. It, it could be Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, but you know any social media basically using the hashtag Urbantasm Scavenger Hunt, and then that's how I know what teams have completed what items. And if uh, you know if one team comes out ahead of all of the others, then they're the winner. If they get the most items, if a couple teams. Uh, tie, for example, then maybe I flip a coin. Um, but we do have, uh, you know, two prizes for the, uh, for the winning team. And it's, it's a gift bag that includes all of the books, signed copies, 
and then some other uh, other Flint goodies. You know, we've got uh, coffee from the Flint Coffee Company, uh, candles from the Flint Candle Company. I got notebooks from Whaley Reclaimed, and uh, gift cards to Comma Bookstore. Uh, which is a wonderful supporter of Flint writers. So I'm really, really excited to have them involved in this as well. Uh, Connor, the the Urban Tasm series isn't the only thing that you've written. You've had uh, other novels and short stories, other things mm-hmm. that you've uh, that you've written. Are you able to write full time? Uh, you know, I'm able to. I'm able to write every day, but not full-time. You know, my wife is the main uh, breadwinner in our family, and then I take care of, like, you know, the cleaning and the cooking and the doctor's appointments and the Zooming around stuff. Uh, But, you know, in spite of that, I'm usually able to carve out a couple hours every day or night to to do some writing and some writing-based work. And that's, that's really wonderful because, you know, a lot of the other writers I know, they have to hold down full-time jobs and be parents to their kids and, uh, and you know, do their writing kind of on the side. And, you know, you get to a point where you're, you're kind of choosing between writing and sleep. Uh, I haven't had to do that in a while, so I'm, I'm very fortunate in that regard. Has the nature of, of quarantining and... Uh, sheltering at home and all of that during uh, the the mm-hmm. pandemic has that um has that made you more or less productive as a writer to be honest for me it hasn't had a very big impact i'd say uh i'd say the biggest thing is that um Last year, you know, my kids were at home basically for a year and a half. It made it a lot harder to find privacy. Um, and uninterrupted concentration is really important for writing. Uh, you just you just need that certain amount of time to, like, immerse yourself into that one process. Um, and so I'd find myself writing more at, at odd times and places than I did when I could count on people being reliably out of the house. But... Um, but other than that, it, it, it hasn't affected my writing too much, I don't think. Yeah, I've talked to some writers who have kind of looked back at the last year and a half and, you know, tisk, tisk, mm-hmm. tisk, I should have, I should have, you know, but, but for some they were just kind of caught like a deer in the headlights. Yeah, well, it's, it is such, it's, it's such a funny profession in a sense because, um, so much what you need is sort of like a, a mental attitude or a mental framework. So if you've got everything you need, if you've got the time and the technology and the ideas, um, but you're not able to kind of like go into that, that fugue state where you're writing creatively but with structure, um, you know, it, it can be really, really frustrating and, and feel futile. You know, it's, it's kind of like you need to be in the zone uh, for your best work to happen, or, or at least that's the way I feel. Um, and so I, I think, yeah, I think if people if people were in quarantine, but were also stressed out, you know, about that or about you know uh, how they're going to pay the rent or or other things, it it could be really really difficult to write under those circumstances. 
Yeah, I, I talked to a, a local uh, musician from the Flint area who, d- during the pandemic, finished or wrote and created, all told, three albums during the year. Wow, that is extraordinary. <laughs> and, and then I talked to others who said, oh, I just kind of stood there like a deer in the headlights. Um, yeah. But uh, it's it's been an interesting uh, experience, I think, for a lot of people. Um, but you were no stranger to working at home. And, and I had uh, sort of a <laughs> similar experience, Connor. I closed my studio a couple months before the pandemic and moved everything home and started doing the show from home. And then yeah. two months later, everybody was doing it. <laughs> <laughs> You were ahead of your, your, your trendsetter. Well, I, I didn't think I was setting any trend when I, when I started it. Um, but uh, but let's let's uh, talk some more about Urban Tasm and, and your writing. When does uh, Book 4 come out? Book 4 is coming out next May. Okay. And then... And then what? Will there, will there be more after that? You know, I often talk to writers mm-hmm. who, who write a series, and one of my favorite questions is when you write the first book, do you know it's a series, or do yeah. you get to the end and think, but wait, there's more. <laughs> is it possible yeah. that you get to the end of book four and go, but wait, there's more? Well, I mean, yes, the, this, the end is, is going to be uh, the end. Um, I, there, there are, there are a couple small caveats. Um, I, uh, I can't, I can't collect all of the four books into one book because there aren't, there aren't printers who, who can print and bind a book of that size that are, are, you know, uh, commercially available for print on demand. Um, but I could release an electronic version, like an ebook. Uh, for Kindle and whatnot, that would be the entire story from beginning to end. So I will probably do that at some point, and I might also uh, release a collection of short stories that would basically be collected from uh, scenes that got got cut from the book. You know, there are a lot of I think, I think in the, yeah, basically <laughs> del- yeah, deleted it. scenes. <laughs> well, I've got. I've got, there are about 600 characters in, the, in all, between all, like, four books. And um, some of them have very interesting uh, lives and stories. But, you know, if, if, if uh, in editing you have to cut a lot of that so that you keep the main story moving. So this is a way of kind of, like, giving a second life to some of those, de- some of those deleted scenes. Wow, it's, it's like a director's cut. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, that's funny, Connor. Um why why use Flint as the model for Akawe? Um, you spent time in Chicago. Why not uh, base your city on Chicago? Well, I think I think that that's the problem that's kind of like pursued me a little bit through the years because um, you know I started I started that writing and outlining of this when I was 16, 17 years old. And I think largely this particular book was, um, you know, born out of a desire to witness to some of the extraordinary people that I met here and some of the extraordinary situations that I encountered here. And, you know, 
Chicago and New York, you know, New York's a great city, but I, I, I felt like I arrived a tourist and left a tourist, but, but I really love Chicago and, and felt that, you know, it, it kind of became a second home to me over all the many years I was there. Still very, very different from Flint. And, you know, the, the stories that are, are taking place in Urbantasm would not be at home in, in Chicago, you know, any more than, you know, some, some I don't know, like, uh, you know, Elliot Ness and the Untouchables wouldn't, wouldn't feel at home in Flint. So, so, you know, Urbantasm had to take place in Flint or a Flint analog. And because it's, it's very much, you know, about this community and about its history and its past, present, and future. Um, but I do think like when this is done, having like devoted 20 years to telling a big Flint story, I'm, I am excited to kind of, you know, explore some other, some other possibilities. So maybe I'll, I'll do something a little bit, a little bit different next time. <laughs> Urbantasm goes to, uh, Miami. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, but all kidding aside, I, I am always very curious about the creative process and how mm-hmm. you how you determine what elements of of Flint are, are things that you want to revisit or, or reimagine in yeah. this analog city and and or um, what was the word you used? Um Parallel or yeah, this imagined uh, city that yeah. that Urbantasm takes place in, um, and, and and about the characters, are they amalgams of people that you actually know, or or are these things that come purely out of your imagination? I am personally, I, I, I guess I'm I'm a little bit skeptical about how the sausage is made writing wise. Um, I, uh, I'm a little suspicious with it whenever something seems, uh, an absolutely pure invention, because lots of times that means that I simply have not recognized its inspiration. And, you know, that, that can sometimes even lead to, to awkward situations where a character is more fully based upon a, uh, an actual person than you intend. Uh, and then you, you know, you, you run the risk that maybe you're not, you're not doing a sensitive or, or nuanced, uh, portrayal of somebody who's actually living in the world. Um, so most of these characters are amalgamations. And I think where, you know, creativity comes into play is, you know, you pull a little bit from, some, from this experience and you pull a little bit from that experience and it's not on a one-to-one relationship from thing that happened in your own history. And at some point, uh, the character uh, or the situation starts to demonstrate characteristics which are completely unique to them because, of course, this, there's never been this combination in the real world. So I, I do believe at some point, you know, what we write takes on a life of its own, and, and that is, is, like, original. But the process by which it goes there is an incorporation of our memories. Um, so most, so I guess that's a long-winded saying, way of saying that, like, most of these characters are, uh, are amalgamations. And, and based on people you've met and, and or gotten to know along the yeah. way. 
Do they ever recognize themselves? If they have, <laughs> nobody has really, nobody's really told me yet. There were one or I mean, two You don't people, have people coming up to you saying, I don't really do that, do I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I know, and see, I'm always, I'm always very self-conscious about that. Um, uh, I'm always worried that that's going to happen. Uh, it hasn't happened yet. There are, uh, there are a couple, a couple characters that are are closely enough based on people that I still have relationships with that I wanted to talk to them about it beforehand and be like, hey, just a heads up, uh, you know. You are you're instrumental in, in the formation of this character and to give them a chance to kind of weigh in on that. And, you know, uh, everybody has been, you know, very gracious and understanding and has encouraged me to, you know, plow full steam ahead. Um, but that, that's really the exception, not the norm. Um, and I think, I, I mean, and, and actually, like, it, it's kind of encouraging because people, people who have inspired in, in part certain characters will read the book, uh, evidently not recognize themselves, and then come to me with their responses to the books. And, uh, and that's actually really, really, really gratifying because, uh, because you get kind of like an outsider's take on what you've written. You're, you're able to see it through another person's eyes. You've interacted with a lot of other writers, too, in, in various projects you've been involved in and, and things you've done. Mm-hmm. Um, is is that um, is that something that that helps with your writing? I want to say sometimes. I mean, the 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 elements that probably help the most with um with that are are actually reading other writers' works because I'm able to see. Because every time you pick up a new writer, they're going to have a. a Writers are like snowflakes. They're all going to be a little bit different. And so, you know, uh, you know, Bob Campbell, Flint guy, you know, came out with his book Motown Man less than a year ago. Uh, he's, a, he's a very good friend of mine, and he's a phenomenal writer. Uh, approaches all of these writerly questions in a totally different way than I do. You know, I love sitting down and reading his book because it's very, very different from, from my approach. But I can see, like, kind of like the brilliance and the novelty uh, and the idea behind like everything he 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 chooses for that, and you know, kind of give me ideas for my own work. And I, I'd actually I'd say the same thing for you know Jan Worth. I'd say Sarah Carson, uh, Jonah Mixon Webster. You know, all of these like uh, writers that I know in real life. Um, you know, that's that's kind of like when when I get get the most for my own writing out of that interaction is is reading what they've put to page. Um, but I think I think there's another purpose to to having those relationships, and you know, doing events. I guess you know easier when it's not when it's not COVID, but doing readings or you know salons. There have been some online salons in the last last year, um, and that's that. It reminds you that you're not just doing this alone for yourself in front of a computer. Uh, that there are that there are readers out there and that they pick up a book and they read it and they have an emotional and intellectual response to it. Um, and that gives you a sense of community because, you know, the work itself is, is very solitary. How well are Flint writers being received outside of uh, Flint and Michigan? I think it's kind of a mixed bag. I know that, like, some, some writers and... And, you know, it's been very, very exciting to see Jonah Mixon Webster get, you know, the attention that he's received. Uh, 
through um, you know through Pan America and the other awards he's won for Stereotype and and you know his his more recent work. Uh, same thing with like Latasha uh, Carter Perry, her uh, Kids Like Mine series. It's really really gratifying to see people who in some cases have been working for decades, uh, you know suddenly, like, break out into a national audience and, you know, to take their perspective as Flint residents with them. Um, so that, that part of it is, like, really, really exciting. I also know a lot of people who, you know, are, are kind of working in solitude for, you know, the, the love of the work, the love of the craft, and, um, you know, who I think, I think, you know, need, need some more recognition for what they've done. And, you know, I mentioned both Jan Worth and Bob Campbell, and I've put them both solidly into that category, you know, people in their community who've been doing great writing for a long time and who I really want to make it as big as they possibly can. So I am always, I'm a big supporter of, like, Flint writers need to meet other Flint writers and Flint writers need to boost each other both in this community and out in the larger world. And, uh, you know, really, I think there's, there's no way but up, but if, if, you know, if we're going to build that community, it, it is going to take like a lot of, a lot of legwork from here. Well, Connor, I, uh, I, I want to congratulate you on the book and thank you for spending this time with me this morning. But as you probably know or remember, I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work past, present, and future. Do you have a website you want to share? I do. I would send everybody to urbandhasm.com, and it's it's pronounced a little funky, so that U-R-B-A-N-T-A-S-M.com. Well, Connor, um, keep up the good work, and uh, congratulations on the release of the book. And how do people... Uh, uh, find the book and get involved in the scavenger hunt. Well, to uh, if you go to urbantasm dot com and go to the events section, you can find all the information you need on the scavenger hunt uh, for the book. As soon as I get my own stock, I'm going to be taking it over to Comma Bookstore, and I'd encourage people to get it there or get it at Totem Books. You know, buy it at a local indie bookstore because they are also really vital to that uh, community. Um, but, you know, if, if that doesn't work out for you, you can also get any of these books on Amazon. Well, Connor, it was great talking with you again, and it was uh, good seeing you at Ted Nelson's birthday party. Yeah, that was wonderful. Thank you so much, and it's, it's always a pleasure to be on your show. So Take care. You do, too. All right. All right. Bye. That was Connor Coyne, based in uh, Flint, Michigan, and the author of uh, Urbantasm, a novel. Um, it's uh, a four-part uh, teen noir serial novel. And part three, The Dark Road, is uh, out and uh, available. Anyway, if you're listening to us at WFOV 92.1 LPFM in Flint, they are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and uh, my good friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. And uh, then we'll be uh, back with more of the Tom Sumner Program. we got lots of good stuff ahead, lots of good reading. Um, fall starts tomorrow, officially. And... Uh, 
the weather will start getting a little cooler in our part of the country, so you may want to do a little reading. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hopper. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is... Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the bath. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org. 
or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Summer Program.com Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. But old Weird Harold and I, old Weird Harold, we called him that because he was 6'9", weighed 50 pounds. We used to use him to get the football out of the sewer. We used to go to every Hiram picture in the world. I'm telling you right now, we would go and we would see Frankenstein. We'd walk 100 miles to see Frankenstein. And mind you, we never saw the monster once. Never saw him once, because we were too scared to look at him. And we had the best seats in the movie. We used to sit right up front. I mean, right up front. That's where you can see everything. You just look right up front there. And we'd say to each other, you gonna look at the monster this time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, don't lie now. If you're not gonna look at him, say that. You might as well get right on the floor now if you're not gonna look at him. You didn't look at him the last time. Yes, I did. Don't lie. Put it on. Oh, look out. That's where we stayed for 12 days. Used to go home with 100 black juji fruits all on our backs. Yeah. So... My mother, we used to stay over and over and over trying to get to see the monster, but we couldn't do it. We were too scared. And my mother used to come for me. Would you come home? Get up off the floor and come home. You know, and the guys would rise. Hey, cause your mom came for you again. You shut up. So my mother said one day, she said, I'm not coming for you. That's all. You know, you'll come home yourself. Walk under 9th Street Bridge in the dark by yourself if you don't know how to come home. Oh, mom, you'll come home for us. So... We were watching this one picture, and it was, it was a heck of a picture. It was one of the, one of the greatest. They, they had uh, Frankenstein, Wolfman, Dracula, the Hunchback, the Mummy. Everybody was in it, and Harold and I stayed on that floor. Our eyes were closed all day. We never came up one time for air. Every time there was somebody on that screen, we didn't want to see. The Mummy's in there now. Oh, we don't want to look. We don't want to look. And we sat through about 12 showings of the same picture. You gonna look this time? No, get up off the floor. No, I ain't getting up nowhere. It ain't gonna get me. So, finally, during the cartoon, I got up and I looked around. And I said, hey, Harold, there's nothing here but grown-ups. And Harold said, yeah. Because that's what he always says whenever I'm right. He's my closest friend, you know. I said, ask that man what time it is. Hey, mister! What time is it? It's 10 o'clock. Oh, Harold. Oh, Harold, we're in trouble. 10 o'clock, yeah. 10 o'clock, that's when the monsters come out. And my mom didn't even come for us, man. Well, she said she would, yeah, but she's supposed to come for us, man. She's supposed to let us go home at 10 o'clock with all the monsters out of thing. Man. And we walk out of the movie crying, oh, we got out of 10 o'clock. Now, the walk home, Ninth Street Bridge has no lights whatsoever, which is highly, well, it's the only way to get home. 
And we are sick. You're talking about two scared kids just walking, you know, arm in arm, not even picking our feet up off the ground because we want to be ready. If the monster touches us, we want to be ready to jump straight up to heaven. You know, when you pick one leg up, you take a chance on going sideways. You know, and we got our leg. We're just sending our toes out six feet ahead of us like radar. Kids coming. Kids coming. And I'm telling you, really scared, ready to go any second. And I bumped into Harold. Bump. I said, Harold, did I bump into you? Harold said, no. I said, don't lie to me now, Harold. Because if I bumped into you, say that I bumped. Even if I didn't bump into you, Harold, say that I bumped into you. Because if I didn't, we're going to get eaten alive. You know that, don't you? Harold said, well, you bumped into me. I said, okay, don't lie anymore. Now, I don't know the name of the wino that came out of the alley that, that uh, emptied onto the Ninth Street Bridge. I don't even care what the guy's name is, man. All I know is that he was wrong. That's all I can say. He was pure D wrong. You just don't walk out of an alley that empties on the Ninth Street Bridge without making some sort of announcement, warning little kids. Look out, little kids, coming home from the Ashton movie after seeing a whole lot of horror monsters. There's just nobody that can hurt you. It's just a little old wino. And he came out. Now, I'm sure while filling out the accident report on this man that the doctor said, what happened? I don't know. It was just four feet, ran right up my chest, danced on my head for a half hour, and then ran straight down my back, doctor. Well, did they say anything? Yes. They said, ah! Did you see them at all? Yes, it was a little kid riding on top of a tall, skinny one, and he was beating him with a stick, saying, faster, faster, you fool, you fool. <laughs> This was another Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program.
be staying here inside It's too dangerous out in the world I'll see you on the other side When I'm in my quarantine In my little place too high My heart is aching and I'm missing you We're all in for a bumpy ride Program, don't you know? Go on, go on, get out of here. <laughs> 